0: Hey, good morning. It feels like a good day today, doesn't it? Yeah. Great day to worship God. Hey, if you're new here, I want to introduce myself to you. My name is Andigo Mondoya. Um, I mean, my name is Justin. A uh, few things about me. I love candy. I love soccer. I love the Buffalo Bills. Uh, I love my fam. Sorry about that. Love my family. Uh, I think the most important thing about me, though, is I love Jesus. And uh, I serve as a pastor here, a teaching pastor, but I think the most important thing is I'm just a Jesus follower, just like many of you. And I want to know him better, and I want to follow him better. Anyone else? And so today, I hope we learn to do that well. We have been in a series called Grace Bomb. It sounds violent, but it's not. And today we finish up this series, and what we've been learning to do is just uh, basically some surprising acts of love motivated by Jesus. And so today we wrap that series up, and we have uh, other campuses this morning, we have Pastor Chuck preaching at Cincy, we have Pastor Rick preaching at Bainbridge, but our friends down at Regal Theater on our Front Street campus are joining us by simulcast. So welcome, guys. We are so glad to have you join us and everyone online. Let me ask you, as we wrap up this series, we've talked about these little grace bomb cards, and I'm curious, how many of you have dropped your first grace bomb? How many of you? Fantastic! Hold on, hold on. I've got some grace bomb swag for you, John. It is a bomb pen. <laughs> Who else? Who else? Someone, someone. Betsy? Okay. Okay. Oh, nice! Nice! Impressive! Betsy is a bomb catcher. I don't know where you can use that skill. (laughs) So, Front Street Campus, I don't have anything to throw you, but ask Joe Aston if he can get you a big movie theater popcorn. Uh, Joe, I'm sure, is happy to do that after church today, right, Joe? Uh, But anyhow... Here's here's what we um, have been hearing the last few weeks. We've been hearing stories. When people get grace bombed, some of them look at the back of the card and it says gracebomb.org and they're like, what is that? They go online and they submit their story. So, Grace Bomb's been sending us stories. So, we've been getting some cool stories. And people have also been sharing some with me. And one came in this week that I've got to share with you. Uh, A couple from uh, our green campus went to uh, a small diner in Hillcrest for breakfast last Tuesday. And they said, as we finished our breakfast, we noticed a couple with a small baby take a seat. The waitress went over to them and mentioned that the diner was cash only. Don't you hate that? Which led them scurrying between them, looking to ensure they could scrounge enough cash to pay for their order. We got the waitress' attention and asked that she be the messenger to deliver some cash and a grace bomb to them when we left. As we were leaving, the waitress privately caught up with us. She wanted to ask us, "What is this grace bomb thing?" She then told us that she had gotten grace bombed as she waited tables on Sunday. I told her that I hoped the bomb had blessed her, and she told us that if we had, it, that it had, and she went to the website to see what it was all about. She then asked if we had any extra bombs, as she thought she could bomb somebody else. <laughs> That's cool. That's really cool. So many more stories, but I just, I thank God for the way he's motivating us to action. These cards, they're not gimmicks, they're just reminders. They're reminders to be aware of the people around us and to be loving them intentionally as God has loved us. And that's the purpose. Now, we're going to end today by talking about the danger of grace bombing. Some of you are like, ah, don't you think you should have told us that at the beginning? Here's the danger of grace bombing, and it's a pretty common problem, and it's this. The tendency is that we, as we begin to do more things like this, and Ephesians talks about this, it says, we are God's masterpiece. He's created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. And so every time we do something like that, we are doing something that God had preordained and preplanned and designed us to do. But the danger is this, that as we do these things, we can get in this mindset that I'm earning God's favor. And the more good things we do, the more we can slide into what's a fairly common mindset that somehow I'm doing good deeds and I'm getting closer to heaven or to earning heaven. And, and what this is called is this is called the scale mindset. And it's very, very common. In fact, if you ask most people around the country how they're going to get to heaven, they'd say, because I'm a, a good person. And it's just this mindset that somehow I hope at the end of my life when I stand before God, if there is a judgment, that he's going to take my good deeds and weigh them against my bad deeds, and my good deeds are going to outweigh my bad deeds. And this is the most common view of how someone gets to heaven. Now, can you imagine if this is actually how God worked, and you got up there, and he's weighing it out, and he's like, oh, man, if you had only done one more good thing, you were at 9,852, but actually the standard's 9,853. Sorry about that. Have fun in hell. I mean, can you imagine how unfair that that would be if there was some invisible scale? And yet, for many people, they're trying to, we're trying to outweigh our bad stuff with our good stuff. And so this is the worldview. It's that God will accept me, them, if, if our good deeds outweigh our bad deeds. Now, one day, Jesus came face to face with a guy who lived with this scale mentality. And it was an, a very unique kind of private meeting. And Jesus dropped some information on this guy that was very new to him. And it, and it really messed up his whole system. And he didn't know how to do any other system. And what Jesus shared with him has reverberated the last 2,000 years and has changed the course of history, has really blown up the concept of religion, and is now the largest and fastest growing religion in the world, which isn't really a religion because you don't have to do a scale of do and don't. But what Jesus explained to this guy is the foundation for the faith of Jesus Christ. But it's so absurdly different than most of us are wired that maybe we need to sit in on this conversation that Jesus had with this spiritual leader who really should have been close to heaven and listen to what Jesus said about how to actually get there. So if you would meet me where this story is, John chapter three, John chapter three, we're gonna look at a fairly famous Encounter that Jesus had. Uh, if you want to tap in your Bible app to John 3, just click on NLT or tap NLT. That'll match the Bible I'm using. Uh, if you're using a chair Bible, um, it's page 853. And if you want a Bible or you're at Front Street, there, there's a sack in front of you. You can take it out. There's a Bible in there for you to have as our gift for you. Um, And if you just want one here Green, it's in the chair in front of you. If you just want a more understandable Bible, please take that with you. John chapter 3, verse 1, it says, There was a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee. Now, don't let that hang you up that he's a Pharisee. We have a very negative mindset towards these guys. But these were the spiritual leaders and teachers of their day, highly respected in their day. Is that swinging going to really distract some of you? Okay, it's distracting me. I'll put it down there. So, in Jesus' day, these were, these were the people that you'd admire and respect. Now, Nicodemus is someone who has a tremendous amount of education But he's not arrogant like some of the religious leaders of his day. Nicodemus is very sincere and very devout. And so he's coming to Jesus and he's, uh, verse 2, it says, After dark one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. (laughs) Now, here's, here's this exchange that begins to happen. But first I want you to notice, when does he come to see Jesus? He comes after dark, so let's just call this Nick at night, okay? <laughs> Nick at night, and, and he's going to have this, this kind of private meeting with Jesus. Is there a reason why he might be meeting Jesus at night? Yeah, he doesn't, he's not ready to go public with his belief in Jesus. He's not quite there yet. He He kind of has... He, he kind of has some thoughts about Jesus, he, he, he admires Jesus, but he's not ready to be seen with Jesus. And I think some of us can maybe relate to that. And he says this, he says rabbi, which is a very respected title to give to someone, it meant teacher. So here's a teacher, a religious teacher in his nation going to someone and, and, and saying to him, teacher, I, I think you're my teacher we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. He's basically saying to Jesus, he's like, teacher, God's obviously with you. Like no normal person could do the things that I've heard you do. I've heard that you heal the sick, you raise the dead, and for the last year, wherever you've gone, there's these stories. And so It's quite obvious to me that there's something unique, special, even divine about you. You're coming from God, and I admire you as a teacher. Now, that's a cool way to begin this private conversation. Jesus, however, isn't one that needs flattery. Jesus looks at Nick, and he knows the question that's on Nick's mind. He knows that Nick is deeply concerned about how to get to heaven because Jesus is teaching some stuff that he doesn't quite grasp. And so Jesus kind of cuts through the small talk and directly addresses what's on Nick's mind. And Jesus replied verse 3, "I tell you the truth, unless you are <laughs> what Jesus say next, born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God." Poor Nick. But Jesus drops on him a term that Nick has never heard before. And Jesus says, unless you are this term, you can't get to heaven. And Nick is just standing there confounded, confused. He's a religious leader, and he doesn't get it. And this idea of being born again, Jesus explains it throughout his ministry, as having this soul that's been made alive by the Holy Spirit. It's been reborn. And Jesus is saying, unless this has happened to you, you can't see the kingdom of God. Now, the problem for Nicodemus is this. He's ordered his entire life around this path to heaven, which is a scale, which is doing and teaching and learning a lot of good things that outweigh his bad things. And Jesus introduces something totally different, and he doesn't know how to factor this in. It doesn't fit his scale. And Nick's response kind of proves that it doesn't make sense. Verse 4, what do you mean? Exclaim Nicodemus. I think he's like, what do, you, what do you mean? This is a private meeting. What do you mean? I have no idea. How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? He's confused with a capital C. Now notice here, even as he asks for an explanation, he's still trying to figure out what he can do. He's like, I can't do That I can't go back in my mom's womb. That doesn't work. What do I do? How do I do this? I don't understand. And Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. Humans can produce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life life now when jesus says be born of water in the spirit this is confusing to many people because they think is he talking about water baptism and he's not he's talking about natural birth right just before a child is born a mother's water breaks and the child is born and in 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 liquid and fluid and so jesus is saying your first birth has to be followed up by a second birth the first birth was this natural thing but your second birth is this Holy Spirit thing. And it's going to be completely life-changing to be reborn internally out of sight. And Jesus is kind of explaining this thing to Nicodemus, who doesn't seem to have a concept for this teaching. So as Nick kind of scratches his head and Jesus gets it, Jesus keeps going, verse 7. So don't be surprised when I say, You must be born again. Now again, Jesus isn't saying you have to do anything. He's saying you must experience something. You must be born again. The wind, and this is where Jesus brings in an object lesson. He was a phenomenal teacher who used stuff around him to teach important truths. He says the wind blows wherever it wants. Just as you can hear the wind, but you can't tell where it comes from or where it's going, so you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. She's like, Nick, let's talk about the wind for a minute. Is the wind real? Yeah, how do you know it's real? Uh, Do you know, can you see it? No. Can you see where it's coming from? No. Can you see where it's going? No. How do you know it's real? Well, I see its effects. Bingo. In the same way that you can see the effects of the wind, you can see the effects of the Spirit of God. He's invisible, he's out of sight, but that doesn't mean he's not real. He's as real as the wind. And the way that he works is out of sight, doing something that you can't do on your own. Verse (laughs) 9, how are these things possible, Nicodemus asked. Now, I really appreciate Nicodemus' heart here. He's not fighting Jesus on this. He's not angry. He's just really confused. And he's trying to get his head around it. He's like, how is this possible? Help me understand. Jesus replied, you're a respected Jewish teacher, and yet you don't understand these things. Now, Jesus isn't demeaning or belittling him. Jesus is like, Nick, Nick, you should know this stuff. Like this new thing that God's about to do, reborn type stuff, born again type stuff. It's been prophesied. The prophets that you study, that you memorize, they talked about this day coming. I'll give you one example. The prophet Joel that Nicodemus would have known by heart had said this many years before. In those days, I will pour out my spirit even on servants, men and women alike. And so there's these prophecies and the prophet said someday God's not just going to temporarily come on people to do certain things. He's going to come within people. He's going to pour out his spirit and there's going to be this new thing. A couple years after this conversation with Nick, that day would happen, it would be called the the Feast of Pentecost, and the Spirit of God would come, and it would be this this birth of the church, and the Spirit of God would come in and indwell all these followers of Jesus. And Jesus is like, Nick, how do you not know this? You've studied this, you've memorized this, but I don't know that you've embraced this idea. Jesus said, you're a respected teacher. You don't understand these things. Verse 11, I assure you, we tell you what we know and have seen, and yet you won't believe our testimony. But if you don't believe me when I tell you about earthly things, how can you possibly believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has gone to heaven and returned, but the Son of Man has come down from heaven. So this was a title Jesus used for himself. He's like, Nick, 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 listen, you can't understand this stuff unless someone were to come from heaven and explain it to you. Here I am. Like I came from heaven so we could have this conversation. I came to explain this to you, Nick. God's doing something new and he's about to do (laughs) this reborn thing and I want you to be one of the first to understand it. And so Jesus is being really patient with Nick, and Nick just doesn't understand it. So Jesus keeps going and keeps explaining. Verse 14, he says, As Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. Now, what Jesus is referring to here is this crazy incident way back in the time of Moses when the Jewish people were being really disobedient and God was fed up and and he sent some poisonous snakes and they began biting people. That sounds like a great time, right? And on that day, Jesus says in an act of mercy to Moses, Moses, here's what I want you to do. I, I, I don't want to kill all my people. I do love them. I'm just trying to wake them up and discipline them. Poisonous snakes tend to wake people up. But here's what I want you to do, Moses. I want you to make a bronze snake, and I want you to put it on a pole and just tell people to look at that. And everyone who looks at that bronze snake on a pole will be healed. And it was this bizarre, urgent care, walk-in situation. Like, hey, just don't go to a doctor, just go to the bronze snake. And so people are looking on the bronze snake, and all of a sudden, the venom is not killing them or hurting them anymore. And, And Jesus is like... Nick, you remember that story. That's what God's going to do again. Only it's not going to be a bronze snake on a pole. It's going to be me. And I'm going to get lifted up. And anybody who looks at me will be healed, will be forgiven, will be reborn. As this crazy concept that he's sharing with Nick in this private conversation. Like, Nick, I'm about to be the new bronze snake. Anyone who looks to me, anyone who puts their trust in me, their faith in me will be healed, will be forgiven, will be saved. And then Jesus continues and says what's now the most famous verse in all the Bible, which was just a private conversation, a sentence in that private conversation in Nicodemus. He says, for God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. And God's looking at Nick, and he's like, Nick, Nick, you don't have to do a bunch of good stuff. You don't have to do scale-based religion. And good works outweigh bad works mentality. Just look at me. And if you look at me, if you look to me, I'll save you. I'll give you new life. I'll give you eternal life. (laughs) And in that moment, he teaches Nick just a basic lesson. There's no scale for entry into the kingdom. Now, is this a relief to anybody else? What a relief. I don't have to count. Thank God, because I think... All of the bad thoughts I've had would far outweigh all the good things I've done. We don't have to count because God's not counting. God sent his son so that there would be a new way to be saved, looking at him, believing in him, trusting in him. Nicodemus, his mind in this evening conversation, it had to have been spinning at this point. Because Jesus is telling him something he's never before considered. Now, here's what's kind of cool. Jesus then paints, uh, there's details that Jesus doesn't fill in right here that he fills in later on with Paul and Peter and his followers. What happens when someone's truly reborn? There's a lot of changes that happen. See, when you become reborn, you begin with this empty heart. And what the Bible teaches is that before looking to Jesus, I have nothing in me that's even good, which is why the scale thing doesn't work. Because the Bible says that all of my good things to God are as what? Filthy rags. You ever get a filthy rag from a kid as a gift? It's the thought that counts, right? But how often are we doing that? God, here's my good things. And he's like, thanks for the filthy rags. I have nothing that I could give God that he would consider good. That's how messed up, warped, sinful, and empty I am. I am dead in my sins and my trespasses before Jesus. I have nothing that's of value. The only thing I bring to my salvation is the need for it. And then, what Jesus brings me is this renewed heart. What Jesus is offering to Nick, look to me, Jesus is saying, and you'll get reborn. You'll get a fresh start. And along with that rebirth, here's the things that the Bible teaches happened. You get a new spiritual identity. I think many of us struggle with who we are. What's our identity? Is my identity what I do? Is my identity what I like? Is my identity who I'm married to or who I'm the child of or how I was raised or what my career or education is? And God says, I've got a new identity for you. You are not what everyone else says you are. You are what I say you are. And that is what he offers to those who look to him. I've got a new identity to give you. He also says, I've got... A new hope to give you. A new hope to give you. We're gonna gonna sing about that in a few minutes to end our time here. But 1 Peter 1 says this, according to his great mercy, he caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So your hope isn't in someday your deeds balancing out. Your hope is in a living savior. Your hope's not in a past event. Your hope's not in this, this uh, you know, anything you want to put it in. Your hope is only in a living Savior. And Jesus says there's more. I also give you a new helper, that Spirit of God who's coming down. Is going to re- He's going to reside inside of you. He's going to indwell you. This is the powerful part about the time that we live in the church age is that we no longer have a building-based faith. For a, for a long time, the, the faith in God was defined by a temple in Jerusalem. And you would go to the temple to meet with God, to offer sacrifices. And Jesus changed all that. Now there is no more building. Even the buildings that we meet in as a church family today, they're not the house of God. What is now the house of God? All right, you are now the temple of God. He lives in you, you are the church. You're just sitting in a building, but you are the church. And this is this brand new identity that God gives his kids, a new hope, a new helper, a new dad. Some of you had or have a good dad like I do. Many of you, you don't. Right? And so your dad, when you think of a dad, it doesn't bring good things to mind because you have a dad who was absent, neglectful, abusive. I mean, fill in the blanks. I even say this and it's bringing back. Some of that hurt. Listen, that's a hard concept for you to embrace, but you need to know there is a dad who was much, much better than your dad. And he is a heavenly father who offers to be the loving dad that you never had. And he loves, the Bible says, he loves to take orphans and bring them into his family. And So maybe there's a sense that you didn't have that dad and God says, I want to be him for you. I will be your heavenly father who loves you, no strings attached, who doesn't neglect you, who doesn't harm you. I will be that for you. That's awesome. He also offers this. He says, I'll give you a new record. I will no longer hold your past against you. Your slate will be wiped clean. How many of us have a record that we're not that proud of? And there's things that we wouldn't want everyone in this room to hear. And God says, I got good news for you. I'll wipe that slate clean. No more record, no more keeping score. I'll take your sin and I'll throw it as far as the east is from the west. I'll bury it into the depths of the ocean. No one has access to it anymore. I've paid for your sin. You have a new record. You have new gratitude. And this is what happens when you're reborn is you realize, I didn't do this. I didn't do this. (laughs) Last night, we were watching home videos, and uh, Sadie, our, our, our daughter, was watching uh, a home video about her adoption eight years ago, and there was a little news uh, segment that a local news station had done, and she's watching it for the first time. I don't think she'd ever seen it, and she's just like, wow, dad, did you get on the news when you were adopted? Well, honey, I actually wasn't adopted, you know? But she, but she was just so in awe about the circumstances leading to her adoption. And she is very aware that she didn't do anything to cause that adoption to come into being. And, and And my attitude should be the same as her, just this awe. Like, I didn't do anything to get adopted into God's family. He just chose me. He just, like, I was dead. I was just like... a a brand new baby. I had no will I could exert. I had no way to communicate. God saw me in my need. And he said, Justin, I want you. He adopted me into his family. And so there's this gratitude that I now live with, that I am on the path to heaven, not because of anything good I've done, but because of something really good that God did. I think that Jesus followers should be the most gracious, thankful People on the face of the earth. How about this one? He gives us new wisdom. He gives us a new way to think about life and think about eternity. A new way to think about religion and faith. A new way to think about even decision making. He gives us new forgiveness to offer. Hurt people hurt people, but forgiven people now have a capacity to forgive others. He gives us, this is weird new fish. What? Some of you are like, cool, I'm going to go out and see. He gives us a new mission. See, many of us uh, naturally live our lives trying to fish for things like stuff and power and popularity and pleasure. And Jesus says, look, I'm going to give you something new to fish for. Rather than pursuing all that stuff, I'm going to let you be fishers of men. I'm going to let you go pursue people who are in need of this same goodness and grace. So now you have new fish, not to fry but to catch and bring into the kingdom of God. And you have new desires. What I'm amazed by is the longer I follow Jesus, the more I'm I'm noticing my desires begin to shift. And it's very slight, and it wasn't overnight. It's very slight, but I'm beginning to be able to pray more, God, here's what I want, but I'm okay with what you want. Let your will be done. Has anyone noticed this who's walked with Jesus for decades now? It's this weird thing that begins to happen, and it's not like my desires all of a sudden all become good, because they don't. But I'm a little more, I don't know, able now to just admit my desires and say, okay, God, this is what I want, but I'm usually wrong. And I thank you for all the times you didn't answer my prayers the way I wanted. So here's the way I want you to answer this prayer, but I'm okay with you answering it differently, because I'm learning to trust you. You answer them a lot better than I pray them. And so he gives us these new desires, and these new desires start to mesh with his desires. See, he also gives us a new burden. What Nicodemus was living with was this burden of religion, of doing these things that would earn him to heaven, earn him a place in heaven. And Jesus takes that burden away, but then he gives him a new burden. And that's a burden to care for the people around him and to share this good news. It's no longer a burden for himself. It's now a burden for others. And I think that's something that when you're newly reborn, you begin to to wrestle through. Like, wait a minute, all the burden and weight I was under seems to have lifted, and now I've got this new burden, but it's for the people around me that don't know this. And I so badly want them to know this. And that's what Jesus is offering to Nick at night. Now, what if all that Jesus shared and all that we've just talked through, what if that was called a grace bomb, right? The good news of Jesus is the best grace bomb. It's the ultimate grace bomb. What if that was the defining moment of your life, first of all, but then what if it was the defining motivation of your life, I think those of us who are Jesus followers, we had a defining moment where Jesus forgave us, and we became part of his family. But for some of us, our motivations didn't change right away. For some of us, it was, well, now I've got to please him. Now I've got to earn his favor. Now I've got to be good enough. And we continued on with that same motivation. And what if, what if that conversation with Nick wasn't just for Nick? In fact, Jesus, for some reason, he allowed his, one of his best friends, John, to overhear this private conversation because I think Jesus always intended that it would get recorded and written down because I don't think that conversation was just about Nick. I think it was about me. I think it was about you. I think Jesus always intended to communicate something to you by this conversation with Nick that night. See, what if Jesus was trying to communicate to him and us that heaven isn't a reward to be earned? Heaven is a gift to be shared. How would that change the way that we think and live? The rest of the story with Nick is kind of interesting. Nick doesn't have any response that night to Jesus. He doesn't say, okay, I get it. He doesn't say, I believe. But a couple years after this conversation, Jesus would hang on a pole and be killed. And there was a guy who stepped up and said, can I help bury the body? And you know what his name was? Nicodemus. And Nicodemus helped to bury the body of Jesus. And I imagine as he's doing it, thoughts are flooding through his mind of that conversation two years before. Imagine he was thinking about the bronze snake. And Nick got to play a part in one of the coolest acts of burial in history. Because three days later, Jesus would get unburied. When he'd walk out of his own grave on his own power and offer something to Nick that Nick could never get on his own, and that was the gift of eternal life. Only someone who's conquered death could offer life that doesn't end, and Jesus did it. Nick got to help bury Jesus. So imagine when Nick heard the news that Jesus didn't stay buried. See, I think that conversation that night with Nicodemus I think Jesus is showing this tremendous amount of compassion because he knows Nick isn't there yet. Like he knows his motivations and his desires. He knows they're good, but he knows Nick isn't there yet. He's not getting it. He's not ready to accept it. And he's definitely not ready to go public with his faith. And so Jesus very patiently and kindly explains to him this concept of new birth. Knowing that a couple years from now, he would play a part in the greatest story ever told. And I just wonder, right? I just wonder if maybe you and I get kind of hung up with the stuff Nick got hung up on. Many of us are followers of Jesus, we believe in the good news of the gospel, and yet we live our lives in pursuit of being good enough. Who are you trying to convince? Jesus doesn't offer you his forgiveness because he looked at your resume and he thought, that's pretty good. Jesus doesn't offer you heaven because he's like, yep, they're exactly the personality and body type I'd like to hang around with. right? Jesus offers it because he loves us, because he likes us, because he wants us. And so all of our striving. It's a really bad motivator. And many people strive because they didn't get approval from, or they didn't get approval from someone they loved and respected that maybe didn't love them or respect them or approve them back. And so often that translates into the spiritual world where we try so hard to be good enough for God. My friends, you can't. And I think the day, and I know for me it it was a separate day for my salvation when, when I got it. And I finally let go of all my striving and I just accepted that I was God's kid. No strings attached. And I began to be motivated out of gratitude rather than out of earning something from God. And maybe, just maybe, Jesus, in this private conversation with Nick, maybe he had you in mind. Maybe he knew someday you'd be reading that story. And someday you'd be realizing that there was nothing you could add to heaven. There is nothing you could add to your salvation to clean yourself up, to make yourself any more acceptable to him. My friends, heaven is a gift to receive and to share. It's not a reward to be earned. And maybe today Jesus, no strings attached, wants to remind you of that. See, this, this is the end of our Grace Bomb series and we're gonna keep those loading stations out in the foyer for quite a while so that you can keep taking cards and having these reminders with you and me and, and, and Grace Bomb people with intentional acts of love and kindness. But don't fall into the trap that you're somehow earning God's favor or his acceptance or his heaven know that you and I get to love people because God loves us. And our lives are simply an overflow of gratitude for what he's done for us. Can you imagine how different Nick's life was after the guy he buried came back to life? You imagine the gratitude that must have marked his life. And that guy certainly never forgot this conversation. And I certainly won't either. Would you bow with me in prayer? Let me ask just a couple questions as we wrap up today. Have you ever received God's gift of forgiveness? Have you, have you accepted Jesus' as your Lord and Savior. You say, what do I do? Jesus said, there's nothing to do. You look to him. You believe in him. And that is what changes everything. That is the way to be reborn. And I know for most of us, it feels too simple, too easy. And it is. Because Jesus did the work. He invites us not into a religion with a list of do's and don'ts. He invites us into a relationship and he says it's done. The price is paid. My friend, today, if you're ready to receive that gift, just tell God. Tell him you believe in his son. Tell him you turn from, you turn from your your past and your sin and, 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 and you receive his son's forgiveness. And my friend, if that's you, happy Adoption Day. Welcome to the family of God. Maybe you've received that gift and yet you're still working. Like you're still doing good things for the purpose of earning God's favor and His pleasure, His acceptance and His love. My friend, He can't possibly love you more than He loves you right now. He can't possibly accept you more than the day He died on that cross with you on His mind. And so you can stop the striving, you can stop the trying. You could just accept. You could just accept the goodness of God. Jesus didn't come to put a weight on us. He said, come to me all you who are, who are burdened and, and weary and, and I'll give you rest. <laughs> Doesn't rest sound good? Spiritual rest from the striving and the working and the earning and the trying to deserve Jesus just says, come to me, look to me. Father, you are an amazing father. (laughs) Thank you for sending your son to be an amazing savior. God, today as we re-embrace the good news of Jesus, I feel overwhelmed because I don't deserve this. And that's the point. Lord, thank you for the the living hope that you've given us that's based in a living Savior. I thank you that Jesus couldn't stay buried, but he walked out of that grave. Make it a down payment on our eternal life. God, help us to live in the freedom and the gratitude of the good news. God, we know there are many more waitresses out there like this lady in Hillcrest who, who are on the receiving end of some of our kindness, and they now want to share it. Lord, may we be people who carry your kindness, your grace, your love to those around us. Starting tomorrow, starting this afternoon, the people we come across, teach us how to love people and accept people the same way that you love and accept us. We pray this in the incredible name of Jesus Christ. Amen.